I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Ascension, and today we are at Pentecost. And if you thought 
all that came before was a little bit too much to receive or grasp, if that was too unbelievable, welcome to Pentecost. Welcome to the act story. Um, this story is on a whole other level. Resurrection, hard to believe, sure. Transfiguration just seems a bit too mystical. Miracles and growing and glowing, like, like spiritual glowing on top of a mountain, all of that. But then Pentecost. We've got people in our churches who decide whether or not they go to one church or the other based on what that church believes about this scripture. We don't do that with resurrection. There are people in every single church across America who believe in resurrection. And there are people in every single church across America that don't believe in resurrection. We don't make much of a big deal about that. We don't really care. Quite frankly, if the preacher never talks about resurrection, I'm not actually sure whether people would stay away. We should make a big deal about it. But we have a different story when it comes to what we think the Holy Spirit does in this passage. A few months ago, a woman visited our church, uh, and as I usually do, I took her out for coffee, and uh, I'm hearing her story and asking more about her, and, and she loves, and she's just raving about our church. The people were so friendly, and the music is so good, and, and I liked your message, and, and, and so then at the end I said, are there any other questions that you have about our church? And she said, well, yeah, actually, I, I do have one. I know y'all are new, so you may not be there yet, but that I really, what I really need to know is, is your church spirit-filled? I knew what this question meant. I knew it immediately. If you grow up Pentecostal, you know what this question, you know this question. Like, you know what they mean when they say, is your church spirit-filled? But I acted. <clears throat> acted a little naive and I said oh oh do you mean do you mean do do we believe that the Holy Spirit is with us as we worship on Sunday mornings and um, you know Methodists have a profound sense of the Holy Spirit's kind of presence in our lives daily and she said no that, that's that's not what I mean um, what I mean is like does your church flow out of the gifts of the Spirit I've only worshipped with you a few times, and I haven't really noticed it. I know you're a new church, but wondering, do you, do you anticipate introducing the gifts of the Spirit to your congregation eventually as it grows? Still playing the naivety card, I said, well, you know, God introduces the gifts of the Spirit. That's not me. I, I've, I've got little to do with the movements of God, but... Um, yes, to answer your first question, I, I do believe that our, our church is alive with the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit is mobilizing people for mission, and the Spirit is equipping leaders for service, and the Spirit is nudging people, um, the people of God, to take care of one another, and to take care of the community, and to meet their neighbors, and to stand up for the oppressed, and to live lives of love, and speak words of peace wherever they go, and yeah, totally. I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are alive at Kingstown. And realizing that she hadn't fully gotten, made herself clear to me, she seems very unsatisfied with my answers. She finally said these words that I had anticipated. That's great. But what I mean is, like, 
are you all like spirit filled in the like the Acts two way? Do do the gifts of the spirit, you know, this the speaking in tongues and, and the interpretation of tongues, do they do they flow freely in your congregation? And if not, I know y'all are new. If not, do you plan on helping them mature in that way? There it is. I mean, that's the Acts 2 question, right? There's the Acts 2 moment, as real and as uncomfortable as it can be. Acts 2 has become for us a taste or, or a preference or a non-negotiable in our search for the right church, right? And she was very clear in the conversation that if we were not intending to one day be spirit-filled, whatever that means to her, um, that this was not going to be the place for her. The story, the story is the defining fake news story of our series, I think, for this reason, because churches across America, someone's connection to the body of Christ revolves around this. It, it, it pivots on this point. I know it does for y'all in a completely different way. <laughs> um, you have come to be a part of this church because the worship experience falls into your church comfort zone to some extent, or into a good medium place for your family to meet and find space for one another. Um, and I would say that there's, when we have tons of people, and even today, there's this fresh energy in the room. I, I like to call it the Holy Spirit in our midst on a regular basis. So sometimes people even um, give an audible, audible amen during my sermon. I'm, I'm, I kind of dig that. So if you would like to, you can do more of that. Um, I'm down with that. Occasionally, occasionally you might find like one of us three recovering Pentecostals, like raising our hands a little bit. And so like, so, but like we never take them past like right here because then we like are afraid we're going to freak you all out, the rest of you. <laughs> um, but you're okay with it as long as we stay right here, right? Like you're okay with it. They don't, they're not getting too out of control. But as far as the acts to like glossolalia, which is what, what they call tongues, the tongues of fire from acts two, as far as we know, that has not happened here. You may know something I don't know. But I was honest with this woman. And I will say though, every year the church does this celebration of Pentecost and us exuberant and faithful kind of mainline, steady going Christian churches, we stumble again upon Acts 2 and we're like, oh yeah, I tried to forget about that because it's so clear how the spirit shows up in this story. We can't deny it. The, the, the people are all gathered together and the spirit descends on all flesh and, and tongues of fire descend on each person and they begin speaking in all kinds of different languages as the spirit gives them utterance. And so to help our anxiety a bit, us faithful mainliners, our Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and, and Episcopalians and Catholics, we, we us non-charismatic folks, we we do our a good deal of 
rewriting the scripture a little bit to our advantage. And so we say the spirit descended and everyone started speaking in different languages. And so then we should embody the gospel, embody the message, preach the message, preach this message of God in different languages during the Pentecost service. And so we all begin to make Pentecost Sunday into this weird multicultural experience, multilingual experience. Who has ever experienced this? Where like you, you, yep. Where the pastor called the one person whose native language is not English in the congregation, <laughs> because let's be honest, this is what happens in white churches. They call the one person who's native and say, oh, can you please read the scripture this week in Spanish? Um, because it'll fulfill some kind of need we might have to embody this multicultural, uh, multilingual experience. And so we do this, and it ends up feeling <laughs> a lot more like, um, like Epcot than it does Pentecost. It's like um, we're on the, on the it's, a, it's a small world after all ride. And we're like, oh, look, how cute. Speak Spanish, too. Like, it, it is, it's horrible for the church. It's horrible. Now, let me say, let me say one thing, though. It's not that, it's not that our relatively homogeneous congregations don't need to be reminded of the sound of other voices at the table, right? That's a good thing. That's a good thing for our predominantly white churches to be reminded of the sound of other voices. And so... Praying in Arabic or in Spanish or in Creole is, is this profoundly pneumatological, it's a big word for spirit work thing. It's not that, that this is what's the, the problem. It, it's that we've missed something else entirely in the passage. It's like we've just all of us, whether you are evangelical charismatic or you are mainline trying to reproduce some kind of multilingual experience, We've all missed the point. It's like we skipped right over a very, very key part of the passage. There's something in the Acts 2 story that happened before the speaking in tongues, something that we glaze over and we skim over it. It's like, it's like skimming over the majority of a, a mystery novel to find out the, the result at the end, who killed who, without having any idea why that matters anymore. And so before the glossolalia, the speaking in tongues, there's this one phrase. In Acts 2, um, in Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Everyone gathered together in one place. Note how different that is from our typical picture of healthy church America. When, when we're not together in one place, we scatter into individualized, specialized ministries, right? The healthiest churches in society, from our mind, are the ones with all the programs. Gigantic programs, children's ministries down the hall, you've got the bouncy house, you know, that's how they'll experience Jesus, and then you've got the youth group down this hall, and you give them a climbing wall, and that's how they're going to experience Jesus, and then the college kids are in this big room over here, I mean, if you go to any mega church, there's going to be a college room, it's going to look something like a coffee shop, 
and and then and then the women who you know need to have time together on Tuesday mornings. You, if you like to shop and you like to walk and you like to read the Bible, well, we've got just the right thing for you for that too. And, and we've done this work of just separating the church over time. And the work of the Spirit is they were all together in one place. I've heard some of you speak about this too. That that a sign of us as a church finally arriving to what God has for us will be when we finally have a youth group, right? When we finally have enough children's workers where the children can be divided into all these different categories and that they can maybe have Sunday school beforehand so that they're not involved in the setup and messing up everything that we're doing. And then maybe maybe that can just roll over right into um, the, the service where we don't actually ever see them at all. They're just back there and we've got our space and they've got their space. And that is the sign that as a church, we have arrived. We are, we are where we need to be, right? In the modern church, we, we get together and then we immediately break up into every sort of speci specified group. And therefore, we resist the first work of why the Holy Spirit descended to begin with. They were all gathered, all gathered, wiggly kids and bored teenagers and angsty moms and sleepy grandparents and everybody was in one room together. And yeah, sure, there were also people from different cultural backgrounds and there were people speaking different languages, but it was that they were all in one room together and that's when Pentecost begins. All flesh together in one place. Alyssa and I have been talking about this a lot lately um, in regards to the church, and, and, and we really truly believe it was, in the, it was in the 1970s, late 1970s, early 1980s, when the Sunday school movement began. Um, Sunday school for the church was a mission of the church. It was meant to, to provide a space for students who could not read, children who could not read, to learn how to read by showing them the Bible, using the Bible to teach illiterate children how to read. Um, somehow, though, we like got it all mixed up. And Sunday school then became the staple for churches everywhere, where we need to now take all of our children out of the worship environment and send them to Sunday school. And, um, and they're going to be there the entire class. They're going to be there before. They're going to be there after. They're going to be during the whole worship service. It feels really good to be without them. We now can have our own worship experience for ourselves. Uh, and what that's done is some kids who had profound Sunday school experiences really know their stuff. But it has pr completely prevented parents and children from ever talking about faith together. And therefore, children don't have an idea of their children's, uh, children don't have an idea of their parents' faith. They, they don't get to see mom and dad put um, a check in the offering plate. They don't get to see mom and dad sing. They, they don't get to see mom and dad receive communion. They don't get to see when mom cries a little bit because the week was really hard. And they don't get to see when dad walks out because they were fighting. So all of, all of those pieces of like really wonderful moments of faith, children miss so that they can learn Jonah, right? And, and Jonah's a great thing to know, but they've lost the complete ability to, to know what it's like to be in a worship environment, how to even submit to a worship environment. And so what happens? Think about the time frame of that. 
think about, uh, so the early 80s, this became a thing. Sunday school took all the kids out of the worship service. I mean, my mom and dad, or your mom and dad, are probably going to would say, when I went to church as a kid, I knew how to sit still and, you know, that kind of whole thing. Like, my parents told me I had to sit there. Well, we took them out of the worship space over time, uh, and then that generation grows up. And that generation that grows up, think 86, I'm 86, I was born in 86, the generation that grows up, the millennial generation, um, I, I wonder, I wonder the correlation, I, I still to this day wonder the correlation between uh, us separating into age groups, everybody, so that they don't know what worship even looks like as an adult, and millennials leaving the church in droves, right? Uh, why, why this is the largest nun population, people who say they, they have no religious affiliation at all. This is where we are, and the Holy Spirit descended, and they were all in one place. Let me tell you, I'm not trying to say we're not going to have children's ministry. Let me, let me just like, clarify that. My leaders are freaking out. Um, I'm not saying that, but, but, but what Alyssa and I would like to create are opportunities, and it's strategic, opportunities for um, children age five and up to worship with the whole congregation one time a month. Um, we still have nursery. We understand wiggle wiggles, right? Like there's a whole, that's a whole, but, but for one, once, and we are thinking about a worship readiness class that would happen between the age of, of, of four and five-ish, that they would begin to be taught what, what it means and what it's like and how you dip the bread in the cup and, and, um, and, and why we bring, and what's on the offering table here, what, what is here, what is significant about this basket and that cup and that plate and, and, um, and why is the cross significant and all these little pieces, why do we stand at certain times and why do we sit down at certain times and why is it important that we're quiet during the word of God because we are taught to, we must listen when we hear the word of God spoken. So all these little pieces, we can begin having this opportunity to form this new generation that if we left the church, if my generation left the church, let's be honest, the next one is leaving at much higher rate, right? I think this is a key pivot for the church of the future, too. I'm telling you a story real quick. Um, so earlier this week, somebody in the congregation who has, has not been sending their children to children's church yet, because the children are, uh, just didn't really want to, um, they reached out to me and they said that their daughter has all these big faith questions. I mean, ones that they can't answer. They cannot even, they, they don't, they're like, I've never had to talk to my daughter about faith before. That was your job. And so will you please come to my house and, and help me talk through some of these questions with, with my daughter? And she says, and also, she's doing this weird thing of mimicking you a lot. So if she does it, like, don't take it personally. Like, but she does this, like, weird sing-song voice. Who grew up Catholic and did and, and joked the priest while you were a kid? Yeah. Crystal does it this day, right? Like, <laughs> says the sing-song. Like, anyways, the same same tone. That's, so apparently there's a, this little girl, and she's, like, joking me and the way I talk in service. It's not joking. It, it, it's, it's, um... It's an honor, right? It's an honor that she begins to take on um, a few things. And so apparently at dinner, she, um, she, has, she has milk, and like she's like now offering her milk and saying, taste and see that the Lord is good at the dinner table, and inviting the people at the table to like dip the garlic bread in her milk. And, and so, uh, um, and, and they say that she says, taste and see that the Lord is good over and over and over again, which everybody knows is, is what, something that I say, which is not something I say. It's a lot of people say it. Um, but so I meet, I meet with her 
I sit down and I meet with her and we, it's Pentecost, it's this week and you know, I pull out, I pull out Acts 2 and if you move down Acts 2 a little bit, there's a part where Peter quotes uh, Joel, the prophet Joel. Let's be honest, no, no pastor ever gets anything original. We all are stealing each other's stuff. They even did it in the Bible. Peter stole Joel's stuff. And so Peter says, uh, he quotes the prophet Joel who says, um, at the end of days, everyone will be together in one room and the young will see visions and the old will dream dreams. And so I read that with her and I, and I just asked her, what visions do you see? Like, obviously you're asking so many questions. What, what are your visions? What visions? And, and this beautiful like eight-year-old is unveiling before me the way she sees the kingdom of God at work in the world. And I think over and over again, so I thought, should I call, I know I've got some smart people in this congregation, should I call one of my people that speak four languages this week to read the scripture? Yeah, it seems a little too Epcot. Really, what, I just want us to get our minds wrapped around how the spirit works when we're all together. And how this can be understood, not just in multi-generational fashion, but we we're in this weird place in the church now where there's the visible church and the invisible church. And what we're trying to embody as a church for the new age, this is a new time for the church. We all know what's going on. We're throwing jello at a wall and seeing what sticks. But what we as a church are experimenting with is this idea that the visible church and the invisible church are starting to cross one another. So when we take worship to Nall's produce, the invisible church, this invisible communion of saints, this visible community, this invisible, this invisible church but visible community, and we invite them to be a part of worship with no expectation that they're going to move into the visible church here, we are doing this kind of cross of the two when we're all together in one place. And that's where the Holy Spirit shows up. So maybe when the children and the adults are together in one place, that's where the Holy Spirit shows up. To Jeff's point, I would love for our church to be more diverse. Maybe when somehow the most segregated hour in America becomes a place where we can come together, the Holy Spirit will descend in that place. Also, maybe when faithful churchgoers and people who are never going to make church home come together in one place, that's where the Holy Spirit shows up. It's a new way to think about Pentecost. I invite you to kind of think about that as we, um, as we move into a time of prayer together. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Where two or more are gathered, that's where you are, God. And we sense that today. We sense that in, in the kind of quiet, stripped back nature of your spirit that helps to order things, not add chaos. We sense it in passing the peace with one another speaking words of life to one another. We sense it when, ironically, three children on the mat come to experience Pentecost and we allow them to teach us something through Alyssa's message as well. We want to submit ourselves to you, God, as, as people who don't know really what, what makes your spirit come alive we, we're not even really sure until we turn to your story and we find out that 
before the spirit descended, before all of the wacky stuff ensued, before people were thought to be drunk. They were together first. They were all together. And what God move us as a church to a place where togetherness is what we seek. That togetherness with our neighbors who may not ever walk into this place. Togetherness with multi-generational families. Togetherness with refugees living down the street from us. God, we bless your name this Pentecost and we invite your spirit to be real to us as we pray together that, that prayer that Jesus prayed and taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Table.